Life Audio. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us today to seek out wisdom from the Word of God. My name is Shara Donahue, and I am your host. And I hope this episode of the Bible Out of Context will help you see more of God's goodness as we talk about Romans 8 28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This verse is a great one to memorize and hold close to your heart. But when you share it with others, it must be done in context. We don't want to be sharing promises with people and attempts to offer hope and find ourselves inadvertently leading someone astray. Paul wrote many letters, often called epistles, to the congregations of churches he planted, addressing pressing issues and offering encouragement. And Romans specifically begins with the lostness, the absolute despair of humanity, and points out the desperate need we all have for a Savior. Paul identifies Jesus as the God-man who gave his life as a ransom for many. The letter then unpacks the gospel's implications for foundational identity change, church relationships, community and civic life, and discipleship. Justification through faith alone is the central theme that sets Christianity apart from other religions. And it is very clear in this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. It's written in a way that helps the reader see concepts from the whole Bible through a gospel lens. In Romans 8, which is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, Paul discusses the battle between the flesh and the spirit. He explores the spirit's role in our lives and gives assurances that we can hold to when we belong to God and live in the power of the spirit. The promises for those who belong to God is key because the first of the two most common ways where Romans 8.28 is taken out of context is that well-meaning believers may say to someone who doesn't love God that everything will be worked for their good. It's in the paraphrase often heard that sounds like God works everything for good that we miss the full truth of the scripture, which again says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. In context, there is a great hope of God working everything for good, but this promise is specifically addressing those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And because of that, our desire to see more people come to Christ should be awakened. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. 
we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Joni Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed from the shoulders down by a diving accident in her late teens, has been sharing the hope of Christ for decades. Even in the midst of her hard circumstances, she knows how torturous they would be without Christ. And she says, we want to know that God is at the center of our suffering not only holding our lives together, but holding us. Just like a father who holds his crying child, pats him on the back and says, There, there, honey. Everything will be okay. Daddy's here. It's okay. That's our plea. We want God to be daddy like that. In Romans 8, we have the massive promise of that assurance. She continues, God tells us that he is so supremely in charge of the world that all the things that happen to Christians are ordered in such a way that they serve our good. And this is true whether we face tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, or broken necks. The robust hope of the believer is not that we will escape a long list of bad things, but that God will make every one of our agonies an instrument of his mercy to do us good in the here and now and the hereafter. This brings us to the second popular way that people use this verse out of context. They know the verse pertains to believers, but they define what good is instead of looking at what God says good is. We have to ask ourselves when reading scripture, am I working from my definition for a word or as the word is intended to be used by the authors of scripture? When it comes to this verse, the true definition of good matters. Before we dive into what goodness means for this verse, I want to take a moment to remind you that God, God is good. This isn't a platitude that Christians say to themselves, but a truth that will hold for eternity, which is why you will often hear it repeated. We have to be reminded in a broken world, God is good. Jen Wilkin writes, God's goodness is a light that radiates through all his other attributes. It is the reason his omnipotence the possession of all power, his omniscience, possession of all knowledge, and sovereignty, possession of all control, are comfort instead of a terror. 
It is the reason we can dare to believe that he is able to work all things together for good, as he has said in Romans 8.28. Right now, there is much that we witness or endure that is clearly not good. But under the sovereign governance of an eternally good God, we can trust that all that is not now good will ultimately be used for our good. Romans 8.28 is scripture that points us at the kingdom of heaven. But it is also relevant for our lives this side of heaven. Many people will say this verse to calm their nerves when they have setbacks as they pursue a certain type of goal in their career, in their personal life, whatever it may be. But they limit it to goodness in relation to that goal. When they say the verse, the verse is still true. It should comfort them, but their thinking about it is a bit off. Yes, God will work everything for good for those who love him, but for good as you define it, as I define it, not always. This mighty goodness is not limited to the human imagination. Let's read this scripture with more context, looking at verses 28 through 31 which is of the same thought. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That is such good news. This goodness specifically has a larger scope than our limited thoughts of goodness that will increase our own power, security, or comfort. It is about the goodness that is our being made more like Jesus. That we will be conformed into the image of the Christ who is goodness personified. You are known by God, called, justified, and our bad choices or painful circumstances don't get the final say on our lives or on who we are. That all rests in the hands of our God. Who can be against us in this? His word rules over all the other happenings in and the words spoken over our lives. There is a better life to come and nothing can strip those who belong to God from his hand. Sometimes God's goodness to conform us, though, looks like uncomfortable grace. <laughs> Paul Tripp describes this as when God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. A word of warning, when ministering to those in the midst of uncomfortable grace, they are most likely living in a place they didn't want to go. And they don't always appreciate having Romans 8, 28 quoted at them. In my experience, 
It tends to be those who have been told this verse over and over as a band-aid for their problems that bristle at it when it's spoken to them when they're in pain. Those who are new to the faith tend to rejoice at its truth. Our humanness is wrapped up in this in a way I don't quite understand, but it is something to be aware of as we minister. Discernment is needed whenever we try to come alongside those who are hurting. Romans 8.28 is a powerful, powerful verse. But sometimes the pain is too fresh for this verse to come from anyone but the Spirit himself. When the Spirit speaks gently to us to remember its power, that God will work whatever pains us for our ultimate good as we are conformed to the image of Christ Jesus. We feel peace. But sometimes when it comes from the lips of another human, there's a numbing to the great truth. And it comes from when people say this to others in pain in an attempt to get the person to stop complaining and force their attention towards hope. People want to fix the pain, but don't always want to walk into it with someone. They want them to feel better immediately, but sometimes life hurts. So let's be careful not to use this verse as a band-aid, but as a deep truth. And if you know the person experiencing sorrow knows this verse, it may be best to just sit with them and beg the spirit to minister. God loves them. He will care for them. And sometimes we just need to sit with someone. We need to be careful with the idea that if someone doesn't feel better immediately after hearing truth, that it equals unbelief. Sometimes it absolutely does. Sometimes it is a problem of unbelief. But there are other times when we can hold the hope of scripture deep within us and still experience affliction and distress. We can be looking towards eternity, but need the strength of God to surrender to our circumstances, to things we may not want to face. Jesus is the one who shows us this in Luke 22. Jesus retreated to Gethsemane after the Last Supper with his disciples. And in verse 40, we see sorrow and eternal perspective coexist. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him, to Jesus, an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was under immense stress, and he turned to God to strengthen him in the midst of it. He knew God to his core, but still was experiencing sorrow. Brad Hambrick asks, 
how Jesus responded in this moment and points out three observations that we would be wise to remember when we encounter our own times of sorrow. Hambrick says, Jesus was honest with the Father. Jesus didn't sugarcoat how hard this was for him and that he wished there was another way, even knowing there was no other way. Jesus asked anyway. Next, Jesus was honest with others. Jesus didn't hide his weakness from his friends. Jesus was not ashamed of his weakness. Isolation would have only made his troubles greater. We see Jesus' strength and his willingness to be honest. And finally, that Jesus was faithful. Jesus continued. In this case, Jesus' suffering was central to redemptive history. So he completed his mission. What it looks like for you to be faithful may be different. Honoring God's will in a situation can come by answering, What does God want from me in this situation? And what does God want for me? In this situation, allowing God to care for you in hard times is a form of being faithful to God's agenda for that season of life. Jesus was in agony, but he knew that you, me, and no other could get to God without his sacrifice. No one else can or will walk this broken world untainted by sin. To rescue us from the debt of sin is why he came, and it still was hard. He was faithful, kept his friends close, and was brutally honest about his struggle to his father, God. The punishment he took for us pained Jesus, but he did it for the joy that was set before him so that we might be saved, that we might experience true goodness. When Jesus was on the threshold of his affliction, he went to prayer and placed his life into the will of God. For our ultimate good, he died, and then he rose again, and God is still working things for good in the lives of those who love him, as he makes us more like Jesus. In this, our hope rests. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. A thousand times, thank you for all you have done for us. That in your goodness, you made a plan to draw us back to your love. And fill us with the hope that will not be disappointed. Help those who are suffering. Speak truth to them through your spirit. And surround them with true friends who will be brave enough to sit with them as they experience sorrow. May we be like Jesus and trust you with all we have, knowing that you work all things for good because we love you. What a hope you give. What a God you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For this episode's book recommendation, I want to point you towards a resource published by the Association of Biblical Counselors. It is a book for people who minister to the hurting and offers ways to approach a counseling session using specific passages of scripture. There are three books, Counseling Through the Psalms, Counseling Through Biblical Narratives, Old Testament, and Counseling Through Scripture, New Testament. 
They are all edited by Shauna Van Dyke. When I feel stuck in my own counseling, I will often turn to them for inspiration. So I just wanted to let you guys know they're out there if you need some help as you minister. The link to those books and other sources referred to today can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com slash podcast or on iTunes, wherever you listen to your pods. And thank you again to those of you who've rated and reviewed the podcast. And if you haven't, we would love a review so others can find us. Until next time, may you seek the abundant life that Jesus died to give and live in the truth that does set people free. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and so much more. Don't worry, your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus, so ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.